The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right, Ben, let's have a drink before the show here. Oh, my God, I dropped the bottle. <laughs> I was literally drinking. Mm. Oh, my God. Man, that water is good. You're mm. Ben, oh, mm. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, January 12th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's not correct. Yes, it is. It's chicagoreader.com. That's totally correct. Forward slash J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. It is Wednesday, January 12th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson makes his return. I can't talk. And we welcome back the legal eagle, attorney at law, <laughs> JC, Jim Coogan. And now your host, no, not a legal eagle. <laughs> Not an attorney. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Smart Chicago. Yeah, there we go. We're calling this Smart Chicago Wednesday, and here's why. Before we go any further, I want to say I hope the mayor's feeling well. Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, was announced yesterday as COVID. Uh, and uh, I've been very critical of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, but um, I. I think the right thing to do is say, please uh, get better uh, and get well. Why, why do I? What's with me and you know, my Obama? I just find myself every now and then going into Obama. Get better, get well. Um, so, um, yes, I think I'll start with that. And I'll get, see what uh, Monroe Anderson has to say about that as well. And then later on, I'm doing an interview with Ramana Hussein. Think what, uh, see what she thinks about it as well. There's some irony in all that. I just want to point out, though, um, I've been wrong about Chicagoans, so I want to take this opportunity uh, to extend my heartfelt apology uh, to Chicagoans. Monroe Anderson has joined me. Monroe Anderson has joined me. So he'll hear what I have to say, and then maybe he'll weigh in. Anyway, um, I've watched, as you know, the uh, confrontation between uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union with just, like, dismay over the last week. Uh, I, I felt it was an absolutely absurd uh, confrontation, just a made-up fight, made up by the mayor. I was just saying this to uh, Monroe Anderson's uh, wife, uh, Joyce Owens. We were chatting on the phone because uh, she asked me what I thought about it. And uh, I just thought it was a contrivance uh, created by the mayor to distract from the fact that she had done an absolutely abysmal, and I say abysmal with a capital A, job of protecting anybody who goes into a public school building. 
with the most basics of COVID protocols, starting with masks for the children. Just a ready, abundant supply of masks. One, number one in the fight against COVID. And here I am getting fired up, ladies and gentlemen. And so what was what was CPS's response when the teachers pointed out that there were no masks in many schools or an inadequate supply of masks in many schools? What was their response? Well, we'll send you the masks further down the road. This is their response after weeks of negotiation. Just utter absurdity. Just like the masks should have been there. You should not depend on a contract negotiation, excuse me, on a collective bargaining negotiations to get masks. They should have been there. So the mayor invented uh, to hire, to conceal the negligence of her administration, this contrivance of a fight over remote learning, pretending as though the Chicago Teachers Union were insisting that we go to permanent remote learning and acting as though she's standing up for the school children of Chicago. And I said to myself, you know what? It's making my blood boil. And if it's making my blood boil, the public must be buying it because I've come to assume that anything that really irritates me has a positive response with the rest of Chicago. This goes back to the Olympics. The Olympics, Daly's Olympic proposal, which I thought was utterly absurd. And yet, <laughs> every major, every newspaper outlet in Chicago, every editorial outlet, I think even Monroe Anderson at weak moments was endorsing uh, weak moments, only weak moments for Monroe. And so I just assume if I'm against something, the rest of the people in Chicago are on the other side. Well, my amazement. I took a look at Mayor Lori Lightfoot's uh, Facebook page. There was one blistering attack after another. My God, nobody was, I'm like, nobody is supporting this BS that the mayor's propaganda machine had put out. So I just, you know what? I had to just say, you know what, Chicago? I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong about you. You're not as naive and as gullible and as dumb as I've been saying. And I think Monroe Anderson owes the people of the city of Chicago an apology because he's usually nodding along. (laughs) You guys figured it out. You saw the mayor for what she was. Anyway, Monroe, I'm bringing you on the show. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to look at Mayor Lori Lightfoot's Facebook page, but man, it's like listening to you and me. The public is coming in with one punch after another. Oh, my Lord. And you know what? The one one uh, person noted, which I thought was, I think, oh, this, why didn't I think of that? It's like they're having negotiations over proper safety uh, tactics, you know, that CPS should employ so that they can the kids can go safely back to the schools Monroe and and so the person goes what are you what CPS's negotiations you know what I mean like what are their sticking points uh, no we will not have more masks we insist on less masks I mean what is there to negotiate this is public safety anyway Chicago I apologize for just leaping to the conclusion that you were so gullible that you would fall for this well, you know, you know, can, can I talk now? Yes, it's your turn, Monroe. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, with the Olympics. Okay, I, we're going I, back to the Olympics. Mayor Daly, I I ran into him. He was he was he had made an appearance on the John Madigan show. Remember Madigan? You yeah, John he, Madigan, he, News Radio seventy eight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he made a, a an appearance there, and he happened to be 
leaving. And I was either coming or going. I can't remember, but I ran into him. So we talked. And um, the two things I remember are talking about was charter schools. And my advice to him was, if you do that, you're going to change, you're going to turn Chicago um, public schools into uh, what's now Stroger Hospital. It was Cook County Hospital back then, uh, where only the poor go. And, and then with the, um, the Olympics, I asked him why didn't he pursue the Olympics? You know, my my opinion was why don't why don't we get the Olympics? And, and he he turned it down in the conversation. He says no, it's too much corruption, and you got to make offers to them and all that. So five five years later, or ten years later, whatever it was after that, to my surprise, he was calling for it. And oh, on the God. other hand, I was in meetings on the South Side. Uh, where they were against it because they were afraid that um, Washington Park would be lost forever to white folks. And and they brought in, God, I forget which one, but one of the two guys, Carlos, I think. John uh, Carlos. Yeah, they the brought great in, John uh, Carlos. Yeah, they brought him in to the meeting. You know, I was in the meeting with him, and uh, it was an interesting meeting. And no, that was probably Pat Hills uh, running that meeting yeah, on the yeah, South Side. It was. The great Pat Hill. Pat Hill. May she yeah. rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. And so Daly and I had done a musical chairs thing. Yeah, no. Listen, I, I wanna, don't want to relitigate the Olympics. Since yeah, right. For once in my life, I prevailed on an issue. Uh, but I would have supported the Olympics in Chicago if we didn't have to recreate an entire brand new Olympic village olympic stadium we have all these existing venues where they could have had track and field events basketball events gymnastics etc just using them but no the way the olympics works and here's the corruption uh, that daly was alluding to when he had that initial conversation right. where the corruption works is that they require every single uh city or state or a country that uh, is uh, hosting Olympics to rebuild the enterprise, to rebuild the operation. So it's an exceedingly expensive venture, which the taxpayers of Chicago, this always got me going, uh, Monroe, all these suburbanites, downstate people. Yeah. What a great idea. Have a, have an Olympics in Chicago. Yeah. You're not paying for it. Right. 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 Uh, And don't get me started about what they were going to do to Washington park. You know, what's funny. This is, uh, I got to tell you this. Um, I remember I wrote a story about this uh, at the very early at the outset when they were promoting the Olympics uh, and you know how Daly could do it. He, it was a, everybody uh, is a board operation. Monroe. You know how Daly operate everybody. He would twist arms every. So it's like you couldn't see any uh, dissenters except for like, you know, marginal people like myself, uh, malcontents. All right. So I went, I did, I went to uh, Washington park where they were going to have the central stadium. And it was a beautiful Sunday. And I walked around asking just regular people like who were just walking through the park or playing tennis or playing softball, what they thought. And every one of them was against the Olympics. I'm like, where are these voices? You get what I'm saying? Right. And and, uh, I remember it was one older gentleman said, we, you know what Chicago needs? We need uh, another Leon Dupre. I'm like, wow, man, yeah. that's going back. That was the old, well, you know, who the firebrand alderman right. from, uh, so yeah, I, I, I was teasing when Roe was not on the Olympics bandwagon by then, uh, 
he was every bit as much of a malcontent as I was. All right, Monroe, um, do you have any uh, uh, thoughts or words on uh, the uh, showdown between the teachers uh, and uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot before we move on to the national news? You have followed this a lot more closely than I have. So what I'd like for you to explain to me was all this money that Washington sent for them to to protect the schools against uh, uh, against COVID. Where did that money go? I mean, was it? Uh, no, serious. You know, serious. Uh, you're totally serious. Question. Yes, it's where did the money go? I mean, what that money could have gone to buying masks? Yes, cool. So uh, where did it go? Or where did the mayor say it went? Well, the mayor gets really got really mad at the reporter. She didn't say where it went. She got really mad at a reporter who asked her that question. The mayor uh, has a quick fuse, as they say, uh, a quick, te- a bad temper, as you may have seen in the papers and stuff. When she was in high school, she got picked on and made fun of because she was short and gay. So she never got over. This this, this is pop psychology. Yeah, I was going to say Dr. Sigmund Freud, Monroe (laughs) Anderson, uh, (laughs) doing an analysis of our mayor. Everybody needs some pop psychology. Uh, I am now, when the show's over, I'm going to have a therapy session with Monroe, and he's going to give me (laughs) advice. Uh, I'm going to explain to you. Why you are called Mojo. <laughs> so I, uh, but I have no idea where the money went, and it's a great question, and I got a feeling, uh, uh, to quote the Beatles, that there will be a lot of investigation in this. They swallowed up about a billion dollars, I want to say. A billion went for the feds, kicked a billion to the city and a billion to the schools uh, to help off uh, defray COVID costs. Right. Lord knows what it's being used for, probably to pay down old debt. Uh, right. In the case of the city, that's a fight that's right. going on. Right. Uh, and so they're using the money that's for COVID to pay ongoing bills. It's, there's like, hey, money coming in. Uh, but, you know, that's my guess. I, I've not seen I've seen a lot of uh, arguments that the, the mayor and her publicists have put up uh, to explain the position, the bizarre position they're taking. I've not seen lack of money as one. And I know I feel they know they can't go there. I know there was just a report uh, put out by the inspector general's office of the uh uh, Chicago Public Schools that raises some really questionable issues about money that went to uh, charter schools, money that went to bus companies. Uh, and uh, so there's a sense of mismanagement already. How much mismanagement, I don't know. Like I said, it was just some exploratory articles. But uh, I I will say this about the mayor. She cooked up a whole bunch of bogus reasons for this showdown, uh, Monroe. But at the moment, they have not argued uh, uh, finances. I got to say this. I want to give a shout out before we go any further to Monroe's wife, Joyce Owens. I don't give her enough credit. She was very helpful to me uh, in setting up today's show. But she's also, uh, we said this already, uh, her, some of her artwork will be on display at the United Nations. She's a really talented artist. I'm always begging her to come on the show. And she's always ducking and dodging me and not coming on the show. But Monroe, she told me she has some new artwork that she's going to do uh, for a, a special exhibit called 61st Street. So, folks, Joyce Owens is really freaking talented and she also has strong political views and she told me Monroe that there's no way she was going to send her kids if she had kids your kids are grown to the schools right now you know what I'm saying it, yeah. she wouldn't send them there because she wouldn't want them to get COVID 
I think there's probably a lot more parents like that, Monroe, than I realized. Do you follow what I'm saying? I when I when this fight first erupted, I go, "Oh, these dumb parents are just going to do whatever the mayor says." But I think there's a lot more uh, skeptics out there, uh, like Joyce Owens, uh, than I realized. Your thoughts, young man? Uh, I, I think we have a divided household. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, get into that school. Exactly. When I was your age. Exactly right. No. And I think my, knowing my sons, they would have been going to the school, too. They would not have wanted to stay home. They would have been going to the schools. And their behavior would have gotten so bad that we'd have to send them to get them out of the house. <laughs> at each other's throats. That is hilarious. After a while, Joyce, we go, all right, I, COVID, schmovid, just get out of the house. Uh, all right, let's, uh, we have uh, uh, the great uh, Jim Coogan is going to join us uh, later in the second half of the show. Monroe, always one of my favorites to get you two guys on. So I was talking about the legal issues uh, with Trump. And um, Well, I, I ask the questions, he gives the answers. Yeah, he's really <laughs> smart. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, not that you're not smart. Yeah. But um, so, but I got to ask you your thoughts about Joe Biden's, President Biden's speech on voting rights. A lot of people are saying uh, too late, but better late than never, that kind of reaction. I know you watched it. I know you have thoughts about it. Uh, so why don't you start with some of your initial thoughts about the uh, Yeah, no, it, it was to it, it, it should have been done six months ago. Uh, and the, the problem, the, the good thing about Joe, uh, Joe Biden and the bad thing about Joe Biden is that he was a senator for 40 years. So he's used to seeking consensus. And, you know, so and he wants to exhaust all, 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 all other avenues and then get consensus. Whereas when you are uh, an executive in an organization, then you have to make executive decisions. doesn't matter what other people think. You're the boss. You want your imprint on that company or, in this case, the United States. And so... You decide what needs to be done, and then it's your job to to lead people into thinking as you you think. Now this this is a, a Trump is a horrible president was a horrible president and is a horrible human being, but he has an uncanny talent into getting people to do as he wants them to do versus what needs to be done. He has way too much of it. Biden doesn't have enough of it. Mm -hmm. And so what if Biden is in trouble right now because you have the midterms coming up and the people who put him into office, mainly black folks, are, are, are like tuned out now because none of the things they put him in for has happened. Yeah. And so you uh, are going to show up, and, and, and um, so he's going to end up losing the Congress and the Senate. Mm, that's where you're at right now. Yeah, that's your. Oh my goodness. Yeah. If Monroe Anderson is that gloom and doomy now, that's because usually you're the one person I turn yeah. to for a little jolt of optimism. No, I don't know. It's bad. It's bad. You, 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 what the Republicans are doing is they they, they failed on the insurrection. On January 6th, 
And so they are state by state, uh, block by block, putting together measures that will guarantee that what happened the last time around won't fail. And Biden, he, he, he has not been able to figure out how to protect the vote. In fact, in effect, protect democracy. Yeah. And, he, you know, and he was focused on the Build Back Better um, bill. And, you know, his thinking, I think, I'm pretty sure, was, well, we'll get this done and then we'll go to, to the vote. And Build Back Better is not going to go because of Manchin and cinema. And and democracy is not going to go because of Manchin and cinema. And well, so now he, he does he does this whole um, uh, um, either you're uh, uh, an American or you're a racist. Basically, the speech was yeah, and it was very good for that. But uh, calling Manchin and cinema racist is not going to help them make them vote for the bill for. Well, for Putting aside um, the um, filibuster. Yeah, suspending the filibuster. Yeah. Uh, So I will say what I've been saying for the last several months uh, in conversations with you and David Ferris. Uh, One day I should bring you guys on the show together. I'd really love to do that. But uh, obviously we have to stop thinking about the uh, Democrats controlling the Senate. They do not control the Senate. They control the Senate only in... uh, by virtue gives they are the chairmanships of committees right but they do not have the ability to pass the legislation they want right and so we just have to it's an illusion that's an illusion monroe they can bring up the vote when 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 mitch was in charge the vote wouldn't even show up on the floor that was his solution to it we're not even gonna vote for they can bring up the vote and if 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 Harry Reid, bless his heart, was still alive and in charge of the Senate, he would be bringing up votes. I th- I think, day in and day out, make them mm-hmm. focus on the same bill every day. Uh, just yeah. yeah, you know, and and that's what Schumer should be doing. I mean, he's finally getting around to bringing up the vote. Should have been doing as well. Yes, 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 have, yes. yes. That's what he it should, should have been done. Yes. Right, right. I'm afraid it's too late now. But I mean, it's, you know, it's we still got months. But well, let's put it this way: uh, voting rights bill is uh, viewed largely and presented largely as an issue that helps black people. Right. I mean, if you just rat, whittle everything away, it's right. viewed. Okay. So, Monroe, you know as well as I do, because you've been living in this country for a long time, and you've been living in this city for a long time, and you've been covering politics in this long time, in this city for a long time. You know that any issue that's viewed as helping black people has the potential to ignite a white backlash. You know that. We've right. lived through that with Harold Washington. Right, right, uh, and and so you know, a bu- a busing, busing the sick, everything. Just and, name an and, issue, 
And, and white people think, just go nuts. Right, Affirmative right. action, yeah, right? right. Uh, <laughs> they lose their minds. And start so, start quoting Dr. Martin Luther King. Oh, I only want to the the the. the the character of a man, you know, not as right. like, Oh, that's the part of King. Right. You tight. Right. So, you know, so, and, and, and as we know, all white Americans have a built in character detector. <laughs> yeah. Which is why they voted for a scoundrel <laughs> like Trump. Right. Exactly. Right. Oh, that character. <laughs> yeah. And here in Chicago, they voted for every in a, Incompetent white guy. Uh, Jim Coogan has joined us. Jim Coogan is going. We're going to bring him on in a little while. But so Monroe, going back to voting rights, uh, as long as it's viewed as something that will help uh, black uh, residents or black citizens more than just the general public, it always has the potential to ignite a white backlash and the Dems will stay away from it, uh, promoting it aggressively. And I think that's a mistake. Uh, I've always viewed it as a mistake. It just name the issue going back to even I was, I was alive, but I wasn't following, but I subsequently followed follow that the fight over seating, like which delegation from Mississippi at the 1964 democratic convention. Uh, and, uh, I just believe that, uh, Joe Biden should have used the bully pulpit from the get go, uh, on this issue. If for no other reason uh, than to give a motivation and uh, and do the right thing, really, um, for such a key part of his his coalition, <clears throat> excuse you me, know, and that's when, black voters. Your thoughts? When, when he took up Charlottesville mm-hmm. and and talked about how racist and horrible that was, that's when his numbers, ra- uh, ratings st- spiked. They went up as a result of that, and so that. That was and and should be his ace in the hole, uh, because white people that aren't racist know that this is all about race, and um, they're not comfortable dealing with it because they don't quite know what to say and how to say it, etc. So they need a leader that's white giving voice to it so that they can have the dialogue to take it down to the street level. And Biden's speech did that yesterday, but um, it's only one speech. So it's going to have to be, he's going to have to continue that. Uh, Other white leaders are going to have to pick it up. And that has to become the, the word of, of the, the thought of the day. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, and and obviously it goes beyond just uh, racial considerations because we're talking about a bill that would end gerrymandering, which supposedly so many white people want to end gerrymandering. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's a lot. It would end uh, if, the if, 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 if 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 they're in a blue state like Illinois, they hate it. <laughs> not, not, not so much in Texas. Yeah. No, I, I uh, well, yeah, you know my position on if it's legal in Texas, it's legal in Illinois. So until it's illegal in Texas, oh my God, and you should see what the Republicans in Wisconsin are doing. That's I could go on and on oh, about. Oh yeah, that. I know, and Michigan too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, all right, we're gonna uh, bring uh, Ace Attorney Jim Coogan into the show. Uh, Jim, welcome back. It's always good to see you. Happy New Year, gentlemen. 
Yes. Uh, thank you. And um, I have a whole series of things that uh, Jim was uh, has shared with me. Great ideas, great topics, uh, Monroe, to discuss. But before we do, I'm going to start off with uh, uh, Donald Trump backing out of his uh, January 6th speech. Uh, Jim Coogan has some theories as to why he did it. So before we get into like the legal lens of things, let's do a little political talk. And then Monroe, you weigh in with your thoughts uh, about it was about two weeks ago, uh, Jim, that Monroe and Sergio Mims were on the show and we were all predicting what Donald Trump would do on January 6th, uh, what move he would make, uh, how he would use that uh, anniversary as an occasion to promote uh, his next presidential campaign, which we all assumed he would be launching soon. And then uh, mission aborted. He did not have a speech. Uh, so uh, your general thoughts on what motivated the ex-president uh, not to deliver uh, that January 6th speech, uh, as he'd been talking about? Uh, yeah. So first of all, great to see you guys. And yeah. thanks for bringing me on for yet another year, Ben. Uh, and it's good to see Monroe here, too. Uh, I listened to that show. It was a good show. You guys had a real good discussion. And I, I think at some point you alluded to the fact that um, Monroe and Sergio had already been talking about it for a day or so and debating it. So it, it was clear based on the discussion, it was, you'd fleshed it out a lot and, and thought it through because it's, I mean, look, we're in the midst of a full blown congressional investigation into what happened January 6th of 2021 right now. And now we just passed the anniversary of that event that, uh, I don't care how people want to minimize or dismiss what happened. It was, it was a very serious, earnest and intentional effort to stop a constitutional process of processing and uh, certifying electoral college votes for all the flaws of the electoral college system. That's how it's supposed to end and should have concluded without that incident. And it's not akin to other demonstrations, and it's not akin to other occasions where both Democrats and Republicans have previously voiced objections to a candidate certification. Those are those are congressional speeches. It's not the same thing as actually storming the building. Um, so, coming back to what happened January sixth of twenty twenty two, you know, leading up to it, it was being teased as this event that was going to take place at the former president's. Uh, estate or property down in Florida. Um, and I agreed with, with uh, what some of what you guys were saying. I thought it would be a big announcement, a chance to kick off um, whatever endorsements and however his involvement might be leading up to this November and, and uh, 2022 off year elections for congressional seats. And to what I thought he would be announcing that his candidacy was starting right then. Because if you guys remember, I think it was like January 21st of 2017, he his campaign filed papers for his reelection in 2020, like literally the day after he was inaugurated, or even yeah. might have been before that. It was one or the yeah. other. It was it was very early, and the obvious purpose is once you create that legal structure, you can start um, any sort of campaign activities, broadly speaking. Well, he could take some money. And receiving donations, right. Right. So that's the bigger issue is, of course, you have a vehicle to receive political donations. And when you're in office, political donations can have all kinds of meaning depending on who they're coming from. Um, And not to mention that even if he later on decided to abandon it for some other reason, he could just do that down the road. So and, and if anything else, the man is obviously addicted to 
demanding as much attention as possible for whatever reason from anybody who's willing to look, even if it's out of disgust. I don't think he actually cares. So I was surprised. I really was. Despite anything else that was swirling around January 6th investigation or any of the other issues, I was really surprised that he that he dropped it. There were, as, as I think folks listening to the show probably heard a little bit of it on this show and from, from just the news in general, the process of that investigation included that they had, or the day before, solicited testimony from Fox News host Sean Hannity. And as they sent the letter to him requesting his cooperation, they included some of the information that had already been uh, downloaded and shared with them, which included text messages in December and January of 20 and 21, where he clearly knew that something was going on, specifically references to losing the White House Counsel's Office, which indicates that uh, the, the White House Counsel's Office was going to resign or parts of it were going to resign um, or Pat Cipollone was just going to give up entirely based upon whatever deliberations that they'd had about what they were going to try to do or what um, the president and people associated with him had knowledge of in terms of this overall wide-ranging conspiracy, I think it's fair to call it that, related to the certification of the election. So clearly, Mr. Hannity had knowledge, and the, the leak of that information, if you want to call it that, right before the speech would have happened in Mar-a-Lago, uh, I suppose that was one motivation, although I think you guys, I suspect neither of you will disagree with me that the, if it, the biggest motivation for anything with that guy is that uh, – he might not have gotten the attention he was looking for, yeah. that uh, media outlets weren't going to turn up and cover it breathlessly and stare at a – have a live <laughs> feed of an empty microphone just 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 waiting for something to happen, which consistently and annoyingly happened throughout 2016 in the lead-up to that election. So well, Yeah, no, and the, the other thing was, well, with MSNBC, for example, they – decided that um, he was going to be telling the same old lies. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. news. And, and if they would cover it, but not live, and if he actually got around to saying something new and committing news, they would report that part. But that they weren't going to just give him a platform to continue lying to the American people. And other networks make that same decision. So he, he wasn't going to get the type of exposure that he wanted, and and um, he was he's still reacting to the embarrassment when they were supposed to have a million people show up at one of his rallies. Oh yeah, yeah. it turned out to be sixty thousand or, or less than that. I can't remember some 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 minuscule number, and he, he was embarrassed behind that, and so he he couldn't take another embarrassment like that. I I don't think. Yeah, I uh, I think you're both right, uh, and and it's a, a healthy a change from the breathless coverage you would get uh, back in 2016. I recall, I can remember so many moments where. Uh, the Trump campaign plane would land and they would just show the plane, you know, and it's like interrupting these covers because he was a celebrity. Monroe, you know how it goes. I mean, right. uh, people are just obsessed with celebrityhood. And uh, I, I guess this is he went too far and he's paying for a price with at least half the media uh, in the country. And of course, he's been kicked off Twitter. We'll see how long that uh, long that lasts. Oh, that's going to uh, last. That's going to be forever. Yeah. You think forever? Think forever is a long time, Monroe. Right, I know. Uh, 
<laughs> without Twitter as a weapon, yeah. he will be he is he has been hampered and he will be hampered. And right. I, I Monroe has already predicted, Jim, before you came on, that uh, it's was, it was <laughs> gloom and doom. The Republicans will sweep the midterms, take back uh, the Senate and the House, uh, and. Um, but I, I still believe if it's Joe Biden versus Trump, I believe Biden will be victorious again. Uh, less than 24. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm yeah, getting away. I'm, I'm talking about the the midterms. Yes. The midterms. Uh, all right. I got to raise this question to Monroe uh, because it's going to relate to a follow up to uh, something I have for Jim. Uh, and this gets a, he already said campaign financing. Uh, Jim Coogan re- alluded to that. I don't know, Monroe, I think you did. You must have seen the showdown yesterday uh, in the Senate chambers between uh, Ron Paul, Senator Paul, uh, and uh, Dr. Fauci. It was pretty raw, and it was out there. And I give Fauci credit. Finally, he counterpunched. He's been, he's, they've been pounding him forever. Yeah, and he's done a little punching before. Uh, well, this one was a real counterpunch. Uh, this, this was a roundhouse. Yes, this was, was a roundhouse. roundhouse. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so I'll just set it up and get your response. Uh, he was giving testimony uh, about the ongoing efforts to fight COVID and what the public should do, et cetera, and so forth. Anyway, he just picked up, he just started reciting from a Ron Paul fundraising uh, email. And I know what these, e- I get all these emails. They use Fauci to raise money. Uh, and so uh, they, they give him all these nicknames and, uh, you know, they say he's trying to take away your, their liberties and they basically say he's a tyrant. And he just went right at him. He went right at Ron Paul. Uh, and then, of course, I don't know if you saw this, Monroe, uh, after that exchange, Ron Paul then used that exchange to raise money. Uh, but I, I applaud Fauci for doing that. Uh, oh, your yeah, no, about- what he did was he held up uh, – a, a page off of a, a picture of the website where it had fire faulty and then yeah. in the lower right hand corner it had how, how much you could donate to it and so, so he's using it i mean these guys are, are such grifters <laughs> i mean literally they are grifters. we know trump is a grifter but yeah. but 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 um a lot of these other republicans who are, who are backing him are just grifting the 40% of America that, that is behind Trump. Because what has happened is the echo, what was the echo chamber has now just become one big bubble. And so if you are a Trump supporter, you watch Fox all day, and Fox tells you, that the election was uh, was stolen, et cetera. Um, all your family and friends are mainly Trump supporters, so they're saying the same thing because they watch Fox also. Um, your 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 congressmen and senator, if they're Republicans, they're they're saying the same thing. So you go to church, your preacher's preaching the same thing. I mean, so if you're in that world, in that bubble, yeah. that is a reality. It's not that you're stupid, but just you have been thoroughly kind, and it's not going away. Yeah. This is why I'm, I'm fearful about um, be, 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 uh, about about this um, the midterms, because from the Republicans passing all this legislation in all these states. It gives them the opportunity to count the votes in some instances. Now, 
and, and all the other measures they have. Yeah. Uh, and and these people been being into it, and they're going to show up because they're going to be PO'd that um, this vote was stolen from their president, and um, those damn libs think they're getting away with something. Yeah, and everything he said, Monroe said it was like in quotes because, uh, of course, it wasn't stolen from their president. Uh, so Jim, this leads into Monroe. You got to hear this one. Jim shared this with me. I was not had not been following this case, uh, but Ted Cruz, speaking of grifters, uh, Ted Cruz, senator of Texas, uh, has a case that's going to be heard by the Supreme Court. Uh, and uh, Jim sent me a really uh, informative article that was in Vox uh, about it. Uh, and I would love to share this uh, story with our listeners. So, Jim, why don't you just explain the basics of this uh, lawsuit that the, the Supremes are going to be hearing? Yeah, credit Ian Milheiser, who wrote up that piece. Um, <laughs> so folks may have a dim recollection, dim like bad thing recollection of the Citizens United case, which I remember the day that that came down, I remember I was really disappointed and kind of depressed. And uh, some a friend of mine who's a, uh, let's say let's say he's a pro corporation kind of guy for who he works for, and that's his worldview. I, I expressed this to him over a drink that night, and he said something about how well this just gives people a chance to to get their message out there to politicians. And I just kind of shook my head, and ever since I've just been kind of shaking my head because obviously the fundamental problem with the Citizens United ruling, which is consistent with the legacy of the Roberts Supreme Court when it comes to campaign finance laws in general, was to defang Congress's ability to pass rules to govern itself and other politicians and officials with respect to the nature of donations that would be made to their campaigns. Who, get, who, who the money comes from, what limitations there might be on the amounts of money, uh, and the sequencing of when that money could be disclosed. Any of those things, as any anybody could understand, even if they're not politically interested whatsoever, the flow of money will inevitably influence how those politicians behave and what they do. Buying influence is something that I think most people would say is a bad thing. A political statement. But then, of course, when you get into the weeds, they might try to excuse it, right? And, and that's what happens with this sort of thing. So Citizens United really diminished the strength of rules that prohibited where money was going to come from or whether or not uh, disclosures would have to be made about the source of that money. Apparently, there was also a rule that had been on the books since the early 2000s that restricted the way politicians uh, could repay loans to their campaigns once they got into office. So here's the best way to understand that. A, a politician could give themselves a $100,000 loan and say, this loan will be repayable at a 25% interest rate. Okay. Because who are they loaning? They have a hundred, they have complete control over the enforcement of this loan. It's not like they're going to go to court and get a judgment against themselves and, ex, and, and try to ex, execute that judgment and have any negative issues with their credit or anything else. They're loaning it to themselves. They're loaning it to a legal fiction that's been created for them to have a campaign. But if a politician were to do that and then, Let's say they win the election. Now, when they pay this money back to themselves using post-office donations to their campaign, 
they can use that enormous and exorbitant and unreasonable interest rate that you wouldn't get anywhere else. I mean, you might get that <laughs> in the stock market, but those are not guaranteed returns, right? You only get 25% if you're fortunate that the market goes your way. Here, you're guaranteeing what you're going to get back. And now that you have influence, you can get money from people who want to buy your influence. And so they restricted this ability to do this. They restricted the amount that could be repaid to 250 or the, the total loan to $250,000 total and changed the interest rates and said that the money would have to be repaid to the candidate 20 days after the election. So seeing this as, I guess, a constraint on their ability to grift, as <laughs> described, uh, and, I, and honestly, you know, I don't feel bad saying this because Senator Cruz deliberately engineered this. It says it in his filings. So in their filings, on his behalf, arguing that this law should be invalidated and, and declared unconstitutional pursuant to the First Amendment and other ways that uh, folks would argue that, that these kind of restrictions shouldn't be constitutional in the first place. They, he deliberately loaned his campaign $260,000 and deliberately repaid $250,000 of it more than 20 days after the end of the cycle that's his re-election was November of 2018 is the subject of this litigation. So the purpose of this entire thing was deliberately and intentionally to try to test whether or not this was really constitutional. And of course, as we find ourselves right now, post this past presidency, we have not only a five to four uh, majority in favor of, let's say, no constitutional limits on campaign finance contributions. Now it's six to three. And, as, and if you're curious as to where the new justices might land on these issues. The article was also very helpful in pointing out that uh, White House staffer at the time, Neil Gorsuch, in 2001 or 2002, wrote some kind of a memo that alluded to his belief that even individual campaign finance contribution uh, limits shouldn't be constitutional, had question, questionable constitutionality. I want to emphasize that again for the listeners. That Now, it's been 20 years, but Neil Gorsuch at the time didn't think that there should be any yeah. any limits whatsoever on individual campaign contributions, meaning presently it's a few thousand dollars, I don't know, 2400 whatever it is, that you can give to a federal official who's running for re-election. You could then just give them a million dollars. So the richest person in the world, whoever they are, could give Ted Cruz a $25 million check individually to his campaign with no corporate structure, no running it through some other company, no dark money restrictions, none whatsoever. That was his belief at the time. He put that in writing as an attorney working for the White House. Those views might have changed, but I sincerely doubt the fundamental bases for those views would have changed by now. And so I think we can reasonably predict that this is this is yet another campaign finance restriction that's going to fall. Yeah. Uh, Monroe, I, I don't know if you fo- I follow that one. That was a good uh, explanation, Jim. I appreciate it. But it just so f- essentially what this uh, it, <laughs> what Cruz uh, is is seeking is a system where a politician uh, can lend himself uh, campaign money, money to run a campaign, and then pay himself back. Uh, not just to make good on the loan, but to uh, pay him for giving himself a loan. 
So you you just can pay yourself. Oh, I'm going to pay myself $100,000 for giving me a $200,000 loan. That's the interest. I mean, what a scam. You know, Blavich is probably thinking, why didn't I think of that? Go ahead. In a country where we have uh, a Congress, Senate, and, and House of Representative members who are already too removed from their electorate and from the individuals that they represent. Yeah, exactly. Not only because they have too many constituents to look to and speak to in the first place, but they're already there. I mean, too wealthy is probably too broad of a way to say it, but the problem, but how can they really relate if the only people, number one, it's a problem when the only person who can actually win an office is a multimillionaire in the first place. Number two, once they have that kind of a wealth, it's going to be no matter how they try it's impossible for them to relate to real people's problems in a meaningful way. This this would explicitly favor those. See, you know, if a guy is a working person and runs for office and he doesn't have an extra half a million dollars to loan some portion thereof to himself, it doesn't help him. Yeah, It only helps the person who's already very wealthy to, to use this additional way to rig the system and basically encourage post-election bribery. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and, I, and I personally think this is why we have the mansion and and and, and uh, cinema, cinema problem. Why is that? Because you know, uh, mansion, for example, has five hundred thousand dollars worth of stock in um, coal, coal, the coal industry, and so for some strange reason. He doesn't want to see all this green technology being pushed forward. He doesn't see why that he he, he thinks there's there is such a thing as clean coal. <laughs> you know, and I I I suspect that he really does believe that because that's his world. Mm. And and not much penetrates that world for him. So in his mind, he's not being corrupt or bought off or anything, but cold is good. As long as you don't have to go down in the mine yourself, mine yourself, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. The lack uh, of these laws in general is, the, you know, Monroe's exactly right. What? Why would anything penetrate that worldview if you don't really have to answer to your constituents because you have this much money flowing through? This is why... Citizens United ruling was so damaging in the first place. Not to say that the rules that were in place prior to that ruling were, you know, completely restricting and corruption and politics based on money, or that they had made the system immune to the influence of money. But if you keep knocking those things down, it's certainly not going to get better. And and right. yet this is the direction we're going, and it's not helpful. Jim, on a personal level, you just got to shake your head because, uh, as everybody knows, listens to the show, uh, Jim is a, a personal injury lawyer, and they're always trying to rig the system against lawyers who represent individual plaintiffs. They're always trying to limit. They're trying to limit the payout. They they call it court reform. I always love it. Don't ever trust anybody when they put reform at the end of something because it's usually a, a way to camouflage some other special interest, not yours. Uh, this to me, like using the First Amendment to justify setting up a system where you just give wealthy people even more power, political power than they already have, even more political influence, influence than they already have is so uh, cynical. But secondly, just to perpetuate, <laughs> it's, it's like it just outright, I guess you could call it bribery effectively. 
um, is also uh, hugely uh, cynical. And yet these same forces will be railing against the undue influence of personal injury lawyers. You watch Jim Coogan, they'll be, come, they'll be blaming it on you. Like, <laughs> I just shake my head. This is this it's a struggle out there. And you're right. I think uh, Neil Gorsuch will lead the charge. By the way, I don't know if you saw this other story, Monroe, related, related to Neil Gorsuch. He, he didn't wear a mask uh, at a uh, hearing at the Supreme Court. I don't know if you guys saw that. He's got something against wearing masks in public. Uh, so thankfully, uh, sort of my ear was not there because she's uh, got some immune deficiency issues that she he could have po- possibly polluted her. Um, so uh, your sense, Jim, that uh, the Supremes, they'll round up five votes uh, to uh, validate uh, Ted Cruz's scheme? Do you think they'll, they'll find those five votes? I mean, this is the only reason why there's any chance that this does not get, uh, that the, the rule is invalidated might be because it is, such a blatant and obvious problem. It's not something that's vague, like the sources of donors, because that was another decision that this this makeup of the court ruled on last year, invalidating a California restriction that required more disclosure of the sources of donations. Um, that's, I, I mean, this is more literal in terms of how it can play out as a corrupt influence. So the Justice Department has a stronger argument to be able to make, but I am not optimistic. I'm being the being a a, a learned realist. Whether that, whether that reality is encouraging or opt or helpful or makes me happy or not, I'm not optimistic. Well, see that that is so blatant. I think they may rule against it. it maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, and and for this reason, not not because they, they wouldn't want it. But they are trying to present themselves as fair and balanced. And so they have to pick some minor issues to demonstrate that they are, in fact, fair and, 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 and balanced, that they aren't as bad as they really are. So they may, they, they may throw this one away for, the, for, for that reason, because they got bigger fish that they want fried. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Bigger fish to fry. Uh, although I, I generally agree, Monroe, with the position you make. I say as a Jim all the time that it's a political institution, the Supreme Court, uh, and uh, definitely the Chief Justice is a very political animal. But um, the current bunch that's in there now that brought the rate, the uh, Trump bunch, I don't know if they even care about. Uh, well, you know what? As soon as I said that, I realized that they didn't rule in favor. Uh, even Kavanaugh did not rule in favor of the, the insane uh, challenges uh, that the Republicans were concocting to uh, try to undo the election. So uh, maybe maybe you're right there, Monroe. Maybe there's a little hope and optimism. All right. There's uh, nothing but this is the gloom and doom show. So we'll stick with the gloom and doom topics uh, until we'll close with a, a case that's a little more optimistic. Uh, Jim, I shared this with you. This has got to be one of the most uh, uh, galling, shameful exercises of uh, legal uh, in the law system this year. Uh, Project Veritas, uh, which is an outfit uh, that has been running scams, uh, sham investigations of against various uh, lefties and liberals uh, for years, is now crying wounded. They're sobbing. 
to they're turning to the court system in New York to protect them uh, from the New York Times investigation. And uh, they found a judge. And, I, you know, we talk about this all the time. All you need to do is find one judge yeah. uh, who's been sympathetic. Judge shopping. Judge shopping. <laughs> they stumble. I don't know if they actually shop for this judge, Monroe, or they just got lucky. Mm, uh, well, I don't know about I don't know the organization well enough to know. But when, when I was in city government, I know they judge shopped, you know. Oh, yeah. No, there's absolutely correct. I'm like on uh, criminal cases, prosecution cases. Uh, may rest in peace, uh, Judge Pincham, uh, who was one of my favorite sources to interview. He, when he was a Cook County judge, he was, uh, let's put it this way, uh, leaned to, toward the side of the defendant. Right. And so the, the prosecutors, cops, they didn't want anything to do with uh, Judge Eugene Pincham. Uh, yeah. So uh, meanwhile, criminal uh, defense he lawyers came up with the the. the term um, pinstripe patronage. Pincham came up with that? Yes. I yes. did not know that. Right. I just remember he got in trouble uh, during the second Harold Washington campaign that said, for saying uh, anybody south of Madison who doesn't vote for Harold Washington should be hung. And so uh, after that, I would always call him the hang him high judge when I would interview. He, he got a, he had a sense of humor. Uh, so, Jim, uh, tell folks a little bit about the Project uh, Veritas case uh, in New York. Uh, chutzpah case of the year uh, by Project Veritas. Go ahead. Yeah. So that group, Project Veritas, has been around for a while. They build themselves in consistently try to stay on message that they are a media organization and that they are journalists engaged in the practice of journalism. Um, I think that's a very dubious claim, (laughs) (laughs) but they've been around for a while. They have had successes, if you want to call them that in the past by doing surreptitious things, tricking people, fake names, lies of other sorts, sneaking their way into either, um, secretly tape interviews or secretly tape activities. And then I guess it's one thing to, to try to do uh, an expose where the entity that you're exposing would otherwise not want to share some secret that they have that should be shared. Um, but the problem is this group also has a penchant for when they actually convey whatever it is, uh, manipulating video, manipulating information, and hopelessly distorting whatever the raw footage might have ever been about something someone admitted or something that they caught on tape to, in my opinion, destroy their own credibility about whatever that thing is they're trying to expose. So this all started because the, if, if people remember, there was some, some, I don't know, it wasn't heavily covered right before the 2020 election, but there was, there were rumblings about the, either the theft or the exposure of a, a diary kept by Ashley Biden daughter of now president joe biden and uh, from my what i recall about this is they project veritas actually didn't end up uh publishing this thing someone else did because i think they backed off because they were afraid of whatever they had done to receive that information that it was actually not, not just getting information from sources but it crossed the legal line so as they were then being investigated for whatever because whoever else published it they were still in receipt of this screenshots or the diary itself and have been under investigation by the justice department project veritas has been and so then the new york times was reporting on this 
and getting information from different people. And apparently the Times had been given information that was shared with them, even by Fox reporters, Fox News reporters, to get comment on the veracity of whatever it was that Fox had gotten a hold of. There's all, this is all, and you know, it really gets to the, I don't know, incestuous might not be the right word, but it's such a con- confusing confluence of media entities, the information they're reporting, and how it all might fall with the legal system, both the civil and the criminal legal system. Because you've got a criminal investigation of Project Veritas, and apparently the Justice Department in trying to get information from their founder and their chief uh, this guy's name is James O'Keefe. Uh, information included in a warrant to search his premises and search his devices alleges and uses the word that this thing was stolen. So that would assume that they have information upon which to base a belief that Veritas actually did steal it or they received stolen information, not just leaked information. So uh, as the Times was public, New York Times was publishing information about this, they were subsequently sued by Project Veritas for defamation <laughs> and Veritas is looking to had and actually has been alluded to got a New York uh, state court judge to issue an order re- requiring the New York times to return and destroy information in their possession, including because some of it was actually memos from lawyers for project Veritas. Now my thought about something like that is it's strange for an entity to assert attorney client privilege once the information is out there, I mean, depending on how the other entity received that information, if, if, for example, if somebody from Veritas leaked that to Fox, I'm not sure how it's New York Times' problem that they, that Veritas wants to now assert attorney-client privilege when these memos are, are out there. Apparently, these were memos outlining whatever position they were going to take and how they were trying to make it seem as of whatever they did to obtain this stuff was never illegal in the first place. The last update that I'm aware of at this stage is that the Times went and appealed that decision quickly because certain decisions you can get an appellate decision quickly or a temporary appellate decision that then can be more fully briefed. And the appellate court has put a stay on the order from the lower court that the New York Times had to destroy all this stuff. And that briefing is actually due this week. So I think January 14th, today's the 12th, um, that appellate court is going to receive more argument from both sides about what they should do and whether the Times has to destroy these things, return them, and and whatever else. And the ongoing case itself about defamation just is still pending, depending on uh, including what would happen with these materials. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the larger political point that it illustrates, Monroe, uh, is one that we talk about all the time, and uh, the fact that there are no uh, fixed principles on the part of uh, MAGA or the right, uh, that everything is a tool and a tactic in a larger political fight. So uh, we've talked about this with Jim Coogan. And so uh, Jim has talked about this, like Alex Jones uh, reserves the right to say anything he wants about anybody. Uh, and it says he's protected by the First Amendment. Uh, same thing with O'Keefe, who runs uh, Project Veritas. They have, they've done these, uh, they've snuck people into uh, like Acorn. They took down Acorn. They're the group that took down Acorn, right. uh, Monroe. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you I, know, and then. I, I, I covered Acorn here in Chicago back in the 70s. So I, I knew what type of organization they were. So I, I, I knew this was a bad deal that they were being handed. 
Yeah, they were handed a bad deal. It was it like later turned out that uh, some of the interviews were doctored. Uh, and uh, so things were set up. They, they weren't what you thought they were. You, know, you couldn't really rely on the information that uh, was being released. And yet it was used to destroy uh, Acorn effectively. Uh, and I and think now, that story involved O'Keefe actually yeah. dressing up as, as a cartoon version yeah. of yeah. a pimp and acting like he was trying to steal welfare money. Right. Yeah. And, right. and then, then they doctored whatever the information was being given to him, which otherwise that organization legitimately helped people guide or guided them through the complicated red tape that would be involved in applying for federal benefits. Um, so, yes, it's it's. I don't think people, it shouldn't be lost how cartoonish and ridiculous. Yeah, how cartoonish and ridiculous they are. And then what a broad a brush they painted people with and how they were unafraid to defame other people and malign reputations and bring them down. And now, Monroe, they're in court with a defamation suit against the New York Times. That's the part that kills me. I would say that uh, any like Donald Trump, Alex Jones, James O'Keefe should not be allowed to file that. There you go. I'm going to put that out there. All they do is defame people all the time. I don't know how you could Monroe in a clear conscience, just spend your political life defaming other people, then turn around crying that you've been defamed. Please explain that to me, Monroe. <laughs> uh yeah, I can't explain that. I can't explain because I, I mean, I, I understand when people are hypocritical and how people are hypocritical. But I'm sometimes why people are hypocritical. But I don't understand how they can be doing all that all the time <laughs> without hesitancy. Yes. Well. Clearly, the conclusion I've reached to uh, the answer to the question you made is that all that matters is winning. And uh, so all of these lawsuits, press conferences, investigations, it's all about winning. And if ultimately you win, that's all that matters. Yeah, and this goes back to Reagan. Yeah, it's uh, he 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 established this 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 greed is good mentality, and you know that's when we came into play with he who dies with the the, the most toys wins. You know, it's, it's, I mean, all that feeds into uh, good for the rich, bad for the poor. And we keep getting we keep getting further and further away as as a country from concern for the uh, working man, the poor man, well, woman. Uh, we keep getting further and further away. I mean, and with the MAGA, it's so bad that even they are for things that are against them. They don't for <laughs> them. Yeah. Well, yeah, working class people make up an enormous proportion of, of folks who are going to those rallies. They're the ones who are suffering from those policies. Monroe is 100% right. And, you know, can I put a fine point on your, your – I'm just going to read this quote. I'm not going to – I'm just going to – Go gonna, ahead. This is just to underscore what you said. This is a quote from the – now, ironically, this is from a New York Times article about the situation, but it's from, I think, a statement from Project Veritas's lawyers. Members of the news media like Mr. O'Keefe – and Project Veritas depend on an atmosphere of confidence and trust. The government may, pursuant to a search warrant, fully examine a reporter's electronic devices 
which include information and communications with government critics, watchdogs, and whistleblowers, then the truth-seeking function of the press will wither. This is <laughs> using the cloak of the First Amendment to protect what they're doing here from and making themselves the victim in this scenario of, I guess, an abusive and tyrannical government investigation. Yeah, that's... That is, wow. That's why I say chutzpah of the year. You know, the typical definition of chutzpah is the guy uh, who uh, kills his mother and his father and then comes before the judge, uh, pleads for mercy because he's an orphan. Uh, that's the, the typical definition of chutzpah. But this one, for these truth benders who have just bent the truth any which way they can to damage whatever adversary they have, uh, to suddenly proclaim like a standard of truth that must be upheld, is truly chutzpah. Will they get away with it? Jim Coogan, a early prediction. Look, I, I think that the, I'm assu- I haven't been able to read the briefs, but I don't think that the documents are going to be ordered to be destroyed ultimately. Yeah. And if that, because they also might form a basis to support why whatever it was that, that was alleged to have been defamatory and published in the times in the first place, was either true or an opinion, and it's a public organization. So we've gone over the elements of a civil defamation case before. People should be reminded it's not a criminal case. It's two entities suing each other, one saying that the other said something that was both untrue, factually untrue, and harmed them in some way. Um, There's a much higher bar if you're gonna prove that as a public entity or a public figure. And basically actual malice has to be uh, included in what in your proofs. Yeah. So if you're defending that case, I think you have to be great, granted as much latitude as possible, especially when you're a media organization in defending yourself and basing your defense on whatever documents that you were publishing. And, and if they were just releasing documents that were in their possession and they have a First Amendment protected press right to do so, then I don't see how the underlying court order could stand that requires them to turn it all back to the party or otherwise destroy it. Um, and I, I mean, I guess the ultimate irony being that here they are with actual documents in their possession that they have not doctored that they're being asked to destroy probably just because it harms Veritas's legal position. Yeah. I, I have uh, confidence that uh, they will not prevail. There you go. I'm a little less gloom and doom today. I just uh, don't believe they'll prevail, and I don't think it'll make it to the Supreme Court uh, to be overturned. All right, we'll close with the Unite, uh, the right conspiracy. Uh, they were hit with a $26 million verdict. Jim Coogan, this, depending on your political view, was a great day. So we'll close a little positive news uh, from our legal system. Explain, uh, explain this one. Yeah. So I still disagree that there are very fine people on both sides of what happened in Charlottesville um, on that bad bloody day or night and then day. And honestly, I really hope it's not a very, I hope it's not a 50, 50 political divide over whether this is a good thing or not. Um, I mean, this was the, the folks who had sued, Um, a a variety of groups and individuals who brought together that Unite the Right rally that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, that sort of started with the the city's decision to take down a statue of Robert E. Lee and then resulted in this tiki torch parade of, of guys in white polos 
spouting, you know, anti-Semitic hate. Uh, and then there were counter-protesters. And as folks might remember, those counter-protesters were met with violence. One, one of the plaintiffs in this case had her skull cracked open by uh, having some of the objects thrown at her and people assaulting her. Another guy had been beaten up. Um, Heather Heyer was killed by the, the guy Fields who drove his car in reverse down a tight alley that was full of people. I mean, for anybody to be driven to that kind of rage and anger against counter-protesters over whether or not they think it's a, a great idea for you to be advocating for neo-Nazism in the United States of America is really, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. So I guess this is a, well, you were standing up for trial lawyers earlier, Ben. So this is a, this is, this is underscoring a victory for trial lawyers and for the side of um, injured plaintiffs and harmed plaintiffs and civil justice, because some brain trial lawyers took on the case of a few different plaintiffs uh, who'd been harmed by this thing sued. Now, whether this $26 million verdict is collectible is a whole separate question, but they sued a bunch of knuckleheads, knuckle draggers, people who have been spouting neo-Nazi hate for years and who specifically helped organize this thing, uh, took them to court. Some of those folks uh, on the defense side couldn't even hire a lawyer, couldn't afford a lawyer, or didn't want to and used the opportunity to stand up in court and uh, use it as a platform to continue to spew the kind of disgusting things that they, uh, who knows if they actually believe in them, but they say them continuously. Uh, but it didn't matter. The jury didn't buy it. The jury didn't buy any of their defenses. They apparently were unable to come to a conclusion on some of the counts, but there were state laws in Virginia that prohibit, uh, I guess, conspiring to harm other individuals in this way uh, without getting into too many of the legal details. And that was a pretty substantial verdict that came out of it. Clearly, that jury was also making a statement because um, even though the individual injuries and and post-traumatic stress complaints from the plaintiffs could could validly be worth $26 million. And I don't, you know, I'm not privy to all the medical evidence, but at the same time, something that large, it also has, it seems as if a jury is really trying to make a statement that they're disgusted by whatever it is that the defendants did in the first place. And then the way that they continued to defend themselves in court in a disingenuous way. And, you know, actually Ben, I'll give you credit for weaving together a very coherent message throughout this show, because if you really think about it, this would be a situation where you can't just keep saying whatever it is that you want. And sure, out in the public sphere, you can just say whatever you want, and and maybe 10%, 20% of the population will buy it. But in court, where you've got an, an unbiased, independent group of 12 people that were selected who now get to hear that message subject to the rules of evidence and not BS... Uh, they can, you're, you might actually get held accountable and it happened. And that is, yeah. that is a yeah. victory for humanity. I, I, I agree. And, uh, I, and, and, and I, I, I'm also agree that I'm very uncertain that the 26 million will ever be collected. Uh, you know, I mean, I still it's think, a uh, burden. <laughs> it's a heavy burden on those who, if, if you owe people $26 million, <laughs> you, have, you have something on your mind. Yeah, it's not worthless. Agreed. Right. 100%. I mean, that's something yeah. that should be lost on people. I'm sure these individual, some of the individuals involved or even their neo-Nazi organizations don't have real money, but it doesn't mean this is meaningless. 
so, so Monroe, when you hear about uh, verdicts like this, and when you hear about juries uh, standing up uh, to uh, white racists, white supremacists, etc., uh, does it give you any? I'm gonna again. I'm trying my best to end on a hopeful note. Does oh, it no, give it, it's good. Yeah. It's, what's what also was happening at last in the media is that they're calling a spade a spade, not. Um, a digging advice or a, <laughs> or a garden tool or something like that. They're, they're, they're giving exact names, real names, to things that are going on. When people are lying, they now call them liars, not yeah. that they misspoke or, 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 or some other sort of polite uh, description. And, 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 uh, and that's a good thing because now you have to... If somebody calls you a liar, uh, most people aren't going to be happy with that. Say, so, yeah, I was lying. Ha, ha, ha. So <laughs> I'll not do it again. You know, they become indignant. What do you mean I was, was lying? Rand Paul is a great example. When, when Dr. Felchy called him out yesterday, he got all indignant and said, are you saying that I'm tr- – Calling you a murderer? <laughs> yes, you called me a murderer. Here yeah. it is. <laughs> so, no. I mean, this is what we need to do to fight what is going on now: is to be as blunt and candid as possible in telling folks what it actually is. I am with you, and this ties back to uh, the political conversation about the voting rights bill. Uh, it, where you just what Biden did yesterday, finally, I give him credit for doing it. Finally, finally, Monroe just finally called it out, called it out. This is a, a tool and a technique that they're trying to steal the next election and subvert your voting rights, subvert democracy. Fine. None of this. Well, there's some good people on that side, uh, you know, and there's some, you know, and once we get remember Biden was predicting that once Trump left the scene, all the all these Republicans would compromise and he can't get one vote. Yeah. And same the same with Manchin. You know, Manchin keeps insisting that uh, they should have this bipartisan uh, agreement on, on the vote, and he can he can't find one Republican. Well, not one. You know, if, even um, uh, God, Mitt Rom, Rom, no, Mitt Romney won't do yeah. it either. Yeah, right. Mitt, Mitt won't even do it. You know, he's going well. You know, it's it's not. But well. you know what's fun? I don't know if you saw this Monroe and and Jim. This uh, Mitch McConnell. This is, it's so shameless what the Republicans will do. So Mitch McConnell criticized Joe Biden's speech, and I'm doing my best to paraphrase this, because he unfairly conjured up images of this horrible uh, moment in American history of Jim Crow. And, And McConnell said that Joe Biden conjured up these horrible images to unfairly blemish the current Republican Party, and how dare he do that? And how dare a president who was elected uh, promising to uh, be bipartisan? How dare he do such a thing? And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that Joe Biden has wasted 
the better part of what? How long, Monroe? How long has he been over or almost two years trying to get Mitch McConnell or any Republican to agree with him on anything? Hasn't been able to do it. Gives a partisan speech. And what's the first thing Mitch McConnell does? Cry. <laughs> you know, right. oh, how fair, unfair of him. So uh, I guess we're just going to call this the chutzpah and hypocrisy hour of the Republican Party. Uh, gentlemen, we've run out of time. I want to thank you both. Jim Coogan, Ace Attorney, thanks so much for coming back. Uh, yes, uh, welcome back. And uh, get a prediction from you, Jim, on tonight's Bulls game. I know you'll be watching it. You've jumped on the bandwagon. The Bulls will be playing the Nets, and the Nets will have Harden, Durant, and Kyrie Irving is back. Uh, they, they raised the white flag uh, the Nets did on the whole issue of being uh, vaccinated. Uh, and they'll be playing the Bulls at the ungodly late hour of nine at night uh, to satisfy ESPN. So uh, I know Monroe Anderson is not a huge fan of sports, but I'll ask you, uh, Jim Coogan, to give a prediction. The Bulls. All right. <laughs> there we go. Monroe, Monroe I know they beat the Nets earlier this year without yeah. all those guys available. I, look, they didn't look good on, was it Sunday night when they played the Mavericks or Saturday? Whatever. It was it Sunday. Yeah, they didn't look great that night. Um, and I was kind of frustrated because I, but I think that there's also a possibility that that could give them a little bit of a wake up call. They were on a nine game winning streak that it's, it's still a team that's got to come together, especially because the last six weeks or so different pieces of that team were on COVID yeah. protocols and so on. So, um, I think they, no, I think they could still beat the nets even with all their guys there. And that's, it's, it's a really important test as far as the best teams in the East go. So absolutely. I'll be watching it, and I'm with Monroe. I'm predicting the Chicago Bulls will be victorious. Why not? I'm going to – this one thing I was going to do this year, Monroe, I'm going to manifest uh, positive vibrations into the universe in the hopes that it will have uh, positive results. Well, so you, you, you do, In doing that, you got rid of Nagy, so – it works. Yeah, it's true. I oh, God. Uh, we'll be doing a Bears show a little later this week, Matt and uh, My beloved Chicago Bears, you guys, I don't know why. I don't know why I remain a Bear fan. I really don't. Like, just the old habit, habits are hard to break, Monroe. But, yes, we'll get a new coach. Let's see what coach they drag out for this one, Monroe. All right, Monroe Anderson, uh, Jim Coogan, thank both of you very much. Appreciate taking the time to uh, come on and talk to me. Uh, it was a great conversation, so thank you both very much. And I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Jim Coogan and Monroe Anderson will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place 
to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.